Now the prophets Haggai and Zechariah, the son of Idu, prophesied to the Jews who were in Judah and Jerusalem in the name of the God of Israel who was over them. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Zozadak, rose and began to rebuild the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. At the same time, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, and Shethar, Bozani, and their associates came to them and spoke to them thus, Who gave you a decree to build this house and to finish this structure? They also asked them this, What are the names of the men who are building this building? But the eye of their God was on the elders of the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius. And then in answer, he returned by letter concerning it. Now therefore, Tatanai, governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and your associates, the governors who are in the province beyond the river, keep away. Let the work of this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding that you shall do for these you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of, the, of this house of God. The cost is to be paid uh, to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, or sheep for burnt offerings to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil as the priests at Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail that they may offer pleasing sacrifices to the God of heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters this edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house, and he shall be impaled on it, and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree, let it be done with all diligence. Then, according to the word sent by Darius the king, Tatanai, the governor of the province beyond the river, Shethar, Bozani, and their associates, did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophesying of Haggai the prophet and Zechariah the son of Iddo. They finished their building by decree, of the God of Israel, and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar, in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king. And the people of Israel, the priests, and the Levites, and the rest of the returned exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs, and as a sin offering for all Israel, male goats according to their number, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests in their divisions and the Levites in their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem, as it is written in the book of Moses. On the 14th day of the first month, the returned exiles kept the Passover, for the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean, so they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, and for themselves. 
It was eaten by the people of Israel who had returned from exile and also by everyone who had joined them and separated himself from the uncleanness of the peoples of the peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. And they kept the feast of unleavened bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful, and they had turned the heart of the king, Assyria, to them, so that he added them in the work he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. This is the word of the Lord. Good morning. I'm Howard Brown, the pastor here at Christ Central Church. And um, just so you know, for that long scripture reading, it's just uh, based on what, how Ezra's put together, it's just near impossible to split chapter 5 and 6 apart from each other. So we kind of had to put it all in there and so you can kind of get the gist of all um, that is going on. Um, it just has to be that way. So thank you, Phil, for getting us through that reading and um, for you guys receiving it. Um, you know, last week uh, I talked about the men's Bible study coming up, the learning community coming up on Sunday mornings, starting when is that next week, October 6th? And um, I had men stand up and, you know, I could tell some of y'all didn't think that was so cool to have you stand up and all that. So what I want is if you're not a man, stand up. Go ahead. Yeah. If you're not a man supposed to go to that Bible study, you stand up. I won't burden you men today with standing up and being the center of attention. Yeah. Y'all go ahead and stand up. Kids, go ahead and stand up. Yeah. Go ahead. If your dad probably could be in that Bible study or a man around you could be in that Bible study, you stand up. Men who are seated, I want you to see whom God has called you to serve, to love, to lead, whether you're married to him or not, your sisters in the Lord, your children, people in this church that are depending on you to know God more intimately, for you to give God your issues and your problems and join together. And so I'm encouraging you. These folk are standing up. You sitting down. I want you to be humbled by that fact. Um, and so next week, it's, I want you guys who have little excuse for, being, for not being there to be there next week. Um, Sunday morning, we're going to be doing this book called Men of Courage, written by Larry Crabb. If you want to go to Amazon and get it, you can get it. Uh, we'll have some copies there for like 10 bucks if you want to bring your money to get it. Um, but um, please, uh, for the people you see standing around you, if not for your own self, right? Own self, I like that word, that compound word. Um, uh, go to this class next week, 845. I'll see y'all in there. I'll be in there. Um, elders Rashid Williams and Steve Walker being there as well, leading it. All right, you can be seated. Last week, we saw how God's people faced resistance in building the temple and city of God in Jerusalem after being in exile for around 70 years. And this resistance is, was so high pressure from the outside and so heart-melting on the inside, God's people gave up building the temple for about 15 years. 
No, the king did not shut them down. But the Bible says that the work on the temple stopped. It stopped because God's people got tired and discouraged. What was supposed to have been their center, central to how they live and think in the temple, it was stopped. The vibrant relationship and mission God had called them to came to a sad halt. Their faith was no longer working and no longer a working faith, if you will. Many of you in here, you believers, have this faith, right? This religion, this saving relationship with God through Jesus Christ. And in so many ways, it has stalled, derailed, slowed down, and even become a burden for you. It's just broke. How do we make our faith work and work again? Like we see here in these two chapters of Ezra, First, we must accept the divine calling on our lives. Secondly, we must walk in new and renewed life. And finally, we must work faithfully. Accept the divine calling on our lives. Walk in new and renewed life and work faithfully. The Bible tells us that these prophets show up during the decade and a half pause on rebuilding the temple, and the prophets mentioned here, Haggai and Zechariah, are like saying to the Israelites and asking them, did you forget what and why you were called to be here? Have you forgotten your divine calling? Because God has called himself to be a part of your life, and God has called you to be a part of his. And it is clear from the main subject in these first five verses, even if you skim over it, that he, God's calling, is to be God, right? To be our God, the the one and true God. But not just that, but according to Haggai and Zechariah and what they were preaching and what we can read here in these chapters of Ezra, this God is the God who is, verse 1, over you. The God in verse 2 who is in Jerusalem, which is less about his location and more about the fact that he's the God on which all your life is morally and spiritually centered. And then when he talks about the prophets of God supporting them in verse 2 in chapter 5, he is the God who has spoken to you. And then in verse 5, he is the God whose eye is on his people. Let me compress this for you to get it in one piece. We must accept God's calling and place in our lives. He is called to be and is our God, the God who is over us, the God who is central to all we do and think. He is the God who has spoken to you directly, and he is the God who is is with you and given you purpose. He is the God who's got a watchful, caring, and focused eye on you, his people. What that means for us is that God has called his people to be a part of his life and work. Because if we just kind of flip God's calling, we can see the calling he has on us, his people. Who are they? God's people are the people called to put themselves and their lives under God, under his watchful eye. 
People who are called to follow and hear and be encouraged and visited by his word. That they were called to build and live and express their lives in glory to God in this world. Look at verse 2 in chapter 5 with me once again. Then Zerubbabel, the son of Shealtiel, and Jeshua, the son of Jodazel, Josedach arose and began to build the house of God that is in Jerusalem, and the prophets of God were with them, supporting them. And then look at verse 7 through 12 in chapter 6. Let the work on this house of God alone. Let the governor of the Jews and the elders of the Jews rebuild this house of God on its site. Moreover, I make a decree regarding what you shall do for these elders of the Jews for the rebuilding of this house. The cost is to be paid to these men in full and without delay from the royal revenue, the tribute of the province from beyond the river. And whatever is needed, bulls, rams, sheep, burnt offerings, to the God of heaven, wheat, salt, wine, or oil as the priests of Jerusalem require, let that be given to them day by day without fail that they may what? Offer pleasing sacrifices to God in heaven and pray for the life of the king and his sons. Also, I make a decree that if anyone alters an edict, a beam shall be pulled out of his house and he shall be impaled on it and his house shall be made a dunghill. May the God who has caused his name to dwell there overthrow any king or people who shall put out a hand to alter this or to destroy this house of God that is in Jerusalem. I, Darius, make a decree. Let it be done with all diligence. Now, there's a lot of stuff in there. But whether in this case a temple, wherever or whatever God's people find themselves in, the people of God God are called to make and build the right and proper space for God to be in their personal and public lives. Have you ever thought about this? That the people of God, if that's some of you out here today, You are the only people exclusively on the earth who are called. That means allowed, granted by his grace, given access by the blood of Jesus like they did with the, 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 the blood of rams and goats. Some of you here are among the only people on earth who have been adopted and called by God to have authentic, obedient, outworking, and joyful relationship with the God of heaven and earth. It is a privilege and a calling above all other callings you have. Everything else should fall behind and follows and adjusts to that calling as God's people. And then again, and again, it is easy to forget that. To lose your mind a bit in into this world, to fool or hide yourself from the divine calling on your life that is on your life every day, every hour, every minute, every waking second. That divine calling does not leave you. Remember this old gospel song they used to sing? Never was any music for it. Just voices and feet stomping on the ground in these old country churches I used to go to. Yeah, so I love visiting those little backwoods churches. We preaching the gospel, and then people would worship. Man, they had this song called "God's Got Your Number," not number, number, right? God's got your number. You can't hide. And the song goes on about, hey, let the rocks fall on us. Let us go over here in the song, and then the chorus comes in. God's got your number. You can't hide, right? 
And that song will be playing in your head all week long. You can't hide. People of God, you can't hide. And what's interesting is you can't hide it. Why? Because God's going to keep his side of the calling up even if you don't. And like these prophets, he will use all that he has at his disposal and that is everything and everyone to keep reminding you that you know who he is and in turn who you are. I am asking you today to just accept it. He is God and those who are his in Christ, you are called to be and do as his people should. And it's a shame that we, me included, have to to be reminded and asked to accept that. I'm always trying to run and hide from it, it seems. But I understand. I'm with you. Things are hard out here. And in here. Last week we talked about the nagging and the threats and stress and longings thrown at you from the outside world on you, the people of God, who, who are the people of faith. And, and obviously, if you read, read about what Haggai and Zechariah were telling the people of God as they rebuilt the temple, the stress and callings of the world had gotten to God's people. They wanted to forget and tried to deny and, and unaccept and, and maybe their God callings, that the inconvenience of building the temple every day and preparing and, and worshiping and following God publicly had weighed on them. And they began, the Bible teaches, to build their personal lives and houses for themselves. Listen to what Haggai says in, in, verse, in, in his key verse here. This is from the book of Haggai. Thus says the Lord of hosts, These people say, the time has not yet come to rebuild the house of the Lord. Then the word of the Lord came by the hand of Haggai the prophet. It is time for you yourselves to, is it time rather for you yourselves to dwell in your paneled homes while this God's house lies in ruins? When things got difficult. The Bible tells us that they started to build their own homes and forsake the work on God's house. But we are not just talking about making sure you have a decent place to live. No, but, you know, but they put panels, Haggai says, on their homes. This is the Bible's way of saying they began to pimp out their homes, right? They went from houses to having cribs. This would a magic happens kind of homes. You know what I'm saying? Like the, I mean, they were really doing it up, and that started to reveal something about God's people. They had given up on. They had given up on their calling. They gave up on centering their lives on the will and way of God. Feeling weary and outdone. And probably left behind and forgotten by God's goodness in some way. But how hard it was to live for the Lord in their public and personal lives. They found and sought some comfort in self-serving and preserving and and self-promoting and self-focusing and self-happiness and selfish gospel. Some of you, along with me, 
have experienced some serious opposition to the mission of God in and through your lives. We started off hot and heavy for God and, and, seen to, and, and seen it go lukewarm and whack as if God let up, right? If I know y'all have experienced some loss and serious disappointments and, and letdowns. Some of us thought that serving God was easy street. If you're not a Christian today, don't let your Christian friends fool you. It ain't easy street. If they're your real friends, you already see that. Serving, you thought serving God was easier street, easy street. It would make things all happier. And it especially seemed that way when things were brand new. Like when you first became a believer, it was all good, right? We loved God so much. We were going to travel the world and spread the gospel. Man, I used to carry tracks around in my book bag. I had my Jesus shirts on. We love God so much. And there, here comes the world. For some of us, here comes the, the mortgage and the families and health insurance and homes and lawns, aerating and seed, seeding, watering. And like these Israelites, and I'm talking to some of you old school Christians in here, like, like some of you older believers in here, okay? It's been for some of us over a decade since we felt like our faith was alive and vibrant and joyful and not all disappointing and condemning and spiritually abusive and dark and emotionally unhealthy drudgery. It's been almost 10 years since Christ Sister Church has been a church. And I must tell you, it has not been cool and slick and fun as it was even five years ago. It is easy to go from being missional as a church and, and, and its leadership included, me included, and get all clutchy, right? and grabby, and, and want to get from Christ at your church what we want, and get disappointed, and over-evaluate what you have not gotten or not getting from Christ at your church, and forget Christ at your church, any church for that matter. And it makes you want to jump ship. Heck, I'm the senior pastor who planted this church, and I found myself looking for a divine dinghy somewhere, right? Or, or some 10-year cash out. I want to cash my chips in. I got all these chips, all the stuff we've been doing for all these years, and I want a relationship. I want friends. I want to connect. I want to click. And so, like, damn, it gets... Double worse, right? Because we have built our lives on, on disappointment in, in ourselves and God, on fears of, of self-protection and selfish getting and getting what we want. Some of us on pure anger and hate because someone who we thought was going to be, be called by God to be there for us has shrunk back or failed to stand up for us, or we are numbing and working ourselves for, uh, from the disappointing pain. We have built lives to confirm that we are okay in a way we believe God has failed to do for us. And now it has been so long. I like to say godified instead of codified, right? We've godified our selfish routines. 
We try to bless it. Oh, it's family time. Oh, it's your Judeo-Christian work ethic. Oh, God wants me to have a break. We gotta fight. You know what it's almost like? Like, like, like somehow we become these people, you know, you, you work at a construction site and you kind of sneak in some, some of the materials home to build your thing, right? We, yeah, we come to church, you know, and we kind of take some of what God's given to build our own philosophy of living to make it okay. We've become so dug in and sin-condemned and sin-laden with stuff and all kind of pleasures that we shouldn't be involved in for neglecting and ignoring our relationship with God that now living fresh for God is like opening a processed can of religion and forcing and settling ourselves to endure it. How did we get like this? You know, now we've become a whole church or churches all over the place of build your own house again by stealing materials from the job kinds of people. At church, we are raiders. We, 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 we loot for comfort and relationships. How do we become a giant support group of God marginalizers and, and self-happiness makers? Looking for, the, you know, the perfect clique of people. To support how we want to control our lives and make us happy. Because this thing has been harder. And the sin in us and in this world darker than we could ever have imagined. And we have given up and given in like these people in the scripture. And turned in and gone into ourselves. Like Israelites, sometimes you feel like we came, Lord. I accepted you. I joined the church, right? I, we left it behind to follow you here, and you and us are hated. We've messed up. We've made sins. We make all kind of mistakes, and now the relationship with you has become hard in this place and at this time. And the new Christianity, me included, have become a gaggle, I can't think of a better word, a spiritual hypochondriac with religious Munchausen syndromes, right? We express the authentic faith by pouting, and our testimonies are faithfully talking about how we can't follow God instead of what God has truly done. And Haggai and Zechariah's uh, supporting message, don't get that word wrong, supporting message, right? Like supporting like one of them, when they wrap, wrap your ankles, the physical therapist, that thing don't feel good. Supporting message is this, act on what God has done by walking out on your life. I didn't say wife, I said life. Walk out of the house you are building to stop living, preparing for, and guarded up for disappointment and fear and failure. You know what it means to walk in new and renewed life? And it's going to sound old school, church harsh, ready? We are going to have to repent for how we have responded to the disappointment and hardships of life and our spiritual life and our churches. We are actually going to have to apologize. 
for giving up on God and seek his help to get out of the dirt of selfishness and self-protecting and fearful living. It is almost like walking out on the life you've built, and that is impossible. It's time to walk out of and on the life you have built in God, disappointment and fear, and repent for giving up and giving in to sinful and heart-hardening behavior and going in away from God and his mission and call on your lives. And when I say repent, I'm not talking and saying, hey, he's one of them preachers that say repent and forget the pain ain't real, or that someone didn't do me wrong, or that I hadn't made mistakes. No, I'm not saying that. Because what we've done is we've taken the word repentance and we've made it equal with condemnation. Repentance and condemnation are on opposite sides of the spectrum. Repentance is turning to God because Christ has been condemned, not you. I'm saying we have to actually stop living with fear and disappointment as our internal mission statement and fuel and motivation for all we do and don't do and actually make some faithful change and how we see and do life and faith. And when we walk out on our life, we must walk in God's life. Look at chapter 5, verse 5. But the eye of their God was on the elders and the Jews, and they did not stop them until the report should reach Darius, and then an answer be returned by letter concerning them. And I already read a good bit of of chapter 7 through 12. I'm not going to reread it, but I want you to recognize that between chapter 6, verses, in chapter 6, between verses 6 and 12, they get everything they need, like the bulls and the rams, and and, and the government gives them what what they need. And then let's pick up in verse 13. It says here, Then according to the word sent from Darius the king, I don't know how to say this guy's name. I never said it out loud. I just read it. Tatani, that's good. The governor of the province beyond the river, Phil said this great. Shethar, Bazanai, and their associates did with all diligence what Darius the king had ordered. And the elders of the Jews built and prospered through the prophecy of Haggai and the prophet, the prophet and Zechariah, the son of Edo. They finished their building by decree of God of Israel and, they, and by decree of Cyrus and Darius and Artaxerxes, king of Persia. And this house was finished on the third day of the month of Adar in the sixth year of the reign of Darius the king, and the people of Israel, the priests, the Levites, and the rest of the exiles celebrated the dedication of this house of God with joy they offered at the dedication of this house of God. 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs as a sin offering for all Israel. 12 male goats, goat, sorry, according to the number of the tribes of Israel, and they set the priests and the divisions and the Levites and their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. Okay, now what's all this mean? The people of God stopped the building of the temple out of disappointment, hardship, and fear. Hear this carefully. But not because they didn't have the life of God with them. In fact, the same stuff mentioned, the decree, the eyes of God on them, the word of God, the government freedom and support, the resources and the leadership structure was always there for them when they started and even when they stopped for 14 years. What are we saying? God never removed his goodness and help. And according to the number of animals sacrificed in verses 17 and 18, no, it wasn't as big of a celebration as the first temple dedication. And even a little more to, but, but, but they had everything they needed. 
enough and even a little more to live the life and fulfill the calling and work that God had for them to do. They were given everything and God had all their lives needed to cover what and who they feared and all their sins and all their disappointments, all the internal, emotional, and spiritual struggles. God always and always will have what you and I need in his life for doing what he has called from our lives, even in the wake of pain, disappointment, and hardship. You and I can start again. You and I can keep going with calling, with great expectation, we can walk out on our selfish comforts and into and seeking a new and renewed and vibrant and happy and actually, like the scripture says, joyful relationship with God with assurance because God's eyes were and always will be on you. His word, his spirit, his spiritual and emotional elements will be there in any forces of this world, seen and unseen, may buffet you, but ultimately, hear this people of God, cannot stop what God wants to do in your life if you are walking in his life and spirit. Let me throw some practical stuff out there. Have you ever thought about you live in a country? Phil talked about it. Hey, I'm at Starbucks. Ain't nobody gonna throw acid up in my face. Right? You sitting in here, ain't nobody, hopefully ain't gonna drop no bomb up in here. You live in a country where you're free to live your faith. And what do we do? We go home and we sit in front of the idiot box. I'm the same way. I love my TV. All three or four of them. And they all got to be on because I got to go in the room and it's got to be there. I'm free to worship God. Like, okay, I'm free to go across the street and talk to my neighbor? Really? Like, most of us live in this, look at our church, and for the most part, we have a lot of time on our hands, some of us. Some of us have given it to working too much, but we got a lot of time. We don't spend it, we don't, we, we, we're free to pray. You're free to read the word. You're free to praise, but that stuff's so boring and disappointing sometimes, right? (laughs) You have life and breath and time. I went to a funeral of a young lady who died at 28 years old from cancer. Some of y'all sitting here with good health. You can fully breathe in and let words out. And when I was at the funeral, they were talking about how even in her days when she was suffering cancer as a believer, who struggled with God, I met with her years ago, she was struggling with God with all that was going on, that somehow faith eked out anyway. I'm not trying to come down on y'all. I'm in there too. You have the word. You have the Holy Spirit. You have a God who sits in heaven and has his eyes on you. And you and I have been placed in a difficult world, yes, but a world that Jesus has overcome. 
got the government and the money and the people in his hands. You too, you, you got what you need to lead and submit as a man or a husband or a woman or a wife or friend or brother and sister, father and mother spiritually and lovingly. You got what you need to do this life on your own as a single woman or a single man or, or single again man or woman or someone who is simply just still here hanging in there. You got what you need and God's going to give it to you and it's given to you to live beyond and above the length and depth of your fears and disappointments and hurt. God has been telling and calling some of you to do some things that are scary and insecure for your insecure living self, right? God may be telling you that you need to leave that comforting but wrong relationship you're in behind. Step out. Some of he's got you, right? He's got you. I know the fear. Man, all right. Before I dated Kelly, I had all kind of, I had relationships, and I'm like, I can't give up this relationship. I was dating this girl who didn't go to church or really know whether she believed in the Lord. I was in seminary, too. And I remember my roommate saying, Howard, she don't believe in God. I was like, man, I know, but you know. And then we went to sleep about 2.30 in the morning. He popped on his lamp. Howard! He used some choice words. She don't believe in God, man! The next morning, Howard. She don't go to church. She might not believe in God. I was like, what you trying to tell me? (laughs) Listen! Some of you need to take or quit that job. You need to do that date night and break down and talk to your wife and be vulnerable. You need to repent to that person. You need to confront that person to love. You need to give that money even or you need to return that phone call. You need to walk across the street or across the office and begin to reach out to that neighbor. Some of you need to go ahead and say yes to that date and no to that other date. Some of you need to go ahead and come to the elders and deacons for help. And some of you need to press ahead and commit to growing in your faith. Some of you need to dig into your church and stop and moping and being angry for more because it's hard down here. This is God's life. Walk out on yours and into his. You don't have it all and can't make it all, but God's got you. He's got it. Repent from your life and turn once again and for the first time to his. But, But before, let me close with this. But before you confuse this with some sort of spiritual pep talk or personal empowerment rally, because I'm not those dudes. I'm not good enough to give you personal empowerment without Jesus. And if I did, I'd be lying to you. I'm not that good of a liar. We work on our faith by faith. You see, it is good to get all excited about making some changes in your life and act out on your faith, but you and I will end up in a more insulated, selfish existence if we don't, as we do it, recognize his mercy and receive his grace. Because contrary to popular belief, ironically, what we must recognize is that our relationship with God doesn't work because of our hard work. 
But our working for God is actually a sign. It's a result that God has worked it out for and in and through us. We make our faith work by having faith in God's work. Look with me at verses 16 to the end there. The people of Israel, the priests and the Levites and the rest of the returning exiles celebrated the dedication of the house of God with joy. They offered at the dedication of this house of God 100 bulls, 200 rams, 400 lambs as a sin offering for all Israel, 12 male goats, excuse me, according to the number of the tribes of Israel. And they set the priests and their divisions and the Levites and their divisions for the service of God at Jerusalem as it is written in the book of Moses. Now they go on. On the 14th day of the first month, the return exiles kept the Passover. For the priests and the Levites had purified themselves together. All of them were clean. So they slaughtered the Passover lamb for all the returned exiles, for their fellow priests, for themselves. It was eaten by the people of, people of Israel who had returned from exile, and also by everyone who had joined them and separated themselves from the uncleanness of peoples of the land to worship the Lord, the God of Israel. They kept the Feast of Unleavened Bread seven days with joy, for the Lord had made them joyful. And it turned the heart of the king of Assyria to them so that, they, that he aided them in the work of the house of God, the God of Israel. So the temple is done. And they do this worship service celebration to its completion. But this is not something extra, right? We did hard work. Like the guys at the Oscars, women at the Oscars. I just want to thank God. It's not the window dressing of some good work you did. That's some spiritual championship that you won. No. Or being a good, committed Christian. No. This wasn't extra. When they sacrificed, those animals and smoke went up to God and all over the place. And then they did the Passover. It was more than a routine ceremony that they just had to get through. This was a public smoke signal. I, I, I imagine. Now, remember, they, they sacrifice the animals on the altar and smoke's going up, right? It's like a holy barbecue. You know what I'm saying? You can tell when someone's cooking something, even blocks away. Maybe it's me because I'm greedy. But there's like lambs and bulls and, and sheep going on this thing, and, and it's smellable, and it's a visible recognition of God's mercy. The world would know, like someone, again, barbecue neighborhood, that they were exiled because they were disobedient to God, and that God remembered them in hardship and disappointment and human failure did not destroy them, but God rescued them. And then when they celebrated Passover, they celebrated God's grace, that God made a sacrifice and did a work to make them his people, that God will work to bring them through, just like he did back then, that he did not and would not leave or forsake them. Get this, not because they did all the good and right things, but because God God was good and made them righteous by what he did. I want you to see this so you can experience the joy of the Lord. Not the slavery and drudgery of trying to be a good Christian and being religious. Because making your faith work again is not about being good or better people, but about living and acting like you, you, you have a good God and knowing that he alone, like the scripture says, made these things and makes these things happen and keeps his promises to make things better. See, they didn't leave the comforts of their homes after 14 years because someone had a good idea. 
deadly comfort. They didn't step out on faith because they were faithful, but because trapped and building themselves away from God and his work and disappointment and fear, living like they were sinners, God, their Savior, broke through. Haggai and Zechariah were kicking people's panels off their homes. He saved them out of a miserable life of self-comforting. They were recognizing God's mercy and receiving his grace. I remember a few more years ago, a prominent figure and artist in Noda, Brian Kwan, he died in a plane crash, one of those personal planes with the little engine. And down behind the Hart's Whitson Gallery down here, they had a bonfire. Georgia and I did the little funeral ceremony, and then after that, they had a bonfire. Totally Noda style, right? They had a bonfire in his memory all night long. Folk danced and, and hung around that fire, and some Christ Central Church members even went to it. And, and, and they came into worship smelling like smoke. Some of those people even went to work smelling like a bonfire. Get this. The sign in reality that they had known Brian Kwan and celebrated his life was all over them. It was in their hair. It was in their clothing. It was in the worship service. It was on their jobs. It was in their homes. They walked around and worked like that, man. Faith is a saturating effect of the death of Jesus for sinners who have a saving relationship with him. And our faith works and works only for us, only when we have been, because of Jesus' death, resurrection, life, drenched and characterized and aroused by intaking and and getting and drawing and hanging out near the gospel smoke of God's word and sacrament and worship and community and prayer. Don't stay in your own life draw near to the fire of God's grace. So that every part of us will live and work and worship like it is always true that while we were sinners, God saved us. And when we, his people, acted and act like sinners who weren't saved, God was faithful to call us back home. And walk with us and make our faith work.